When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest edition of the Tech Sideline podcast with a little thug by ZZ Top. Welcome aboard and hope your week is off to a good one after that fantastic 24-3 win for Virginia Tech over Florida State on Monday night. Again, this is the Tech Sideline podcast originating from the TSL offices in Blacksburg. I'm your host, Evan Hughes. Pleased to be joined by the Tech Sideline founder, Will Stewart, and managing editor, Chris Coleman. Guys, Virginia Tech off to a 1-0 and start. Who saw that coming? <laughs> well, uh, if you read our game preview, you know that neither one of us predicted that. So, uh, you know, you can... I also freely told people before the game, listen, I have no idea what's going to happen. I just think that Florida State's going to make some explosive plays, and, and that's going to be the difference in the game. And uh, you know, the, and, and we can get into that in more depth. That's just not the way it unfolded. Tech did a great job. Yeah, I thought it was a dead even matchup, with the exception of the Florida State running backs, who are known to generate big plays, and, and they generated a couple of big plays against Virginia Tech. Kalan LeBourne on that on that pass play, I believe, where he's reverse field, and then obviously Cam Akers the 85-yard run, but neither of those plays went for touchdowns, and, and the Tech defense was, was able to get stops on, on those drives. Virginia Tech 1-0, more importantly, are you guys feeling 1-0 this week? Yeah, um, as I always joke in, in times like this, business has been good. You know, um, it, it's people get excited and they pile into the website and they're like, yeah, I'll renew my subscription. Sure. Oh, maybe I'll sign up for that website. Yeah, I'll do it now. Woohoo, we beat Florida State. So, uh, you know, from that standpoint, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely feeling 1-0. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I'm actually kind of glad it's, it's, it's a short week, to be honest with you. Um, I'm ready to play. I'm ready to see the team play again. And I'm feeling one to know as well because this podcast has gained over 2,000 uh, listeners each of the first two episodes this week. So thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate uh, the support, Hokie Nation. So, by the way, let's address a technical note before we really get into the meat of things here. Um, we have had some feedback from listeners that uh, Evan and I sound great and Chris sounds like he's talking out of the bottom of a barrel. Um, with, a, with a little bit of uh, communicating with our listeners, what we've been able to figure out is if you listen – uh, through your phone, on the pot, on the app, or through the browser, or you listen on your computer, you're listening through headphones or earbuds, everybody sounds great. If you're Bluetoothing it in your car, we all sound great. It appears that if you are just listening through your tiny little phone speaker that, again, Evan and I sound fine, but Chris sounds like he's shouting from another room. So Listen through speakers. Plug those speakers into your phone and you should be fine. Yeah, I mean, this is a technical issue that we do eventually have to get worked out, but for the time being, yeah, stick some earbuds in or headphones on. It should be fine. So we've got a lot to get to today. We're going to talk about the Florida State win, of course, talk about some players that stood out. We'll preview William & Mary. Plus, we do have uh, the Tech Sideline poll questions of the week. We had two for this week. We'll get to uh, the poll questions and the questions you have uh, for Will and Chris a little bit later in the podcast. But first off, as we're going to do for every podcast, uh, for every week, you have to go look at Will's Twitter bio and see uh, what clues we'll give in the beginning of what movie is in the bio. So, Will, well, what do we have this it, week? I've been actually going with song quotes lately. Songs, so, okay. So, again, it's at Will Stewart TSL, and Stewart is, is S-T-E-W-A-R-T. And, Evan, you read, uh, you read this week's uh, lyric. Turn off your mind, relax, and float downstream. Now that is, uh, if you are a fan of the band that used that lyric, then um, you know it, and it's actually not hard for you. But there's a story behind that, uh, so we'll get to that at the end of the podcast. So see if you can identify that, and uh, and I'll tell you how I came to learn of that lyric and where I first heard it. It's, it's I think it's interesting, so we'll see if you guys think it's interesting. No, see, that's what I did on Sunday, and I got badly sunburned. And during big plays on Monday night's game, people kept smacking me on the back or smacking me on my chest. And I'm like, no, stop. I don't want to celebrate that way right now. Was it a relaxing weekend for you, Chris? Because you were here. You got to see all the action. Uh, I was out of town, actually. But uh, I, I, got, I watched college football most of the day on Saturday. And, uh, but, yeah, it was, it was a good time. 
Well, this week and every week, the Tech Sideline Podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses from their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke. The Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 15,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day, or evening toll-free at 1-800-680-7031 or email them at ishinfo at fisherlegal.com. All right, diving right into the 24-3 win for Virginia Tech on Labor Day night. Will, you were there. When you look at this game a couple days removed, what sticks out to you most about the Hokies' performance? I think, you know, I, I, first of all, let's see, we're Wednesday, 2 o'clock, we're recording this. Um, I didn't get back from Tallahassee. I drove down and drove back with uh, our photographer, Ivan Morozov, Russian Hokie, and with a good friend of mine, Richie Davis, who uh, I've known since I was about five years old. And, and Richie, by the way, was on Sirius XM ESPNU radio on game day. He called in and eventually got on, and he made sure to slip a techsideline.com promo in there while he was talking to Mark Packer. And uh, on the way, on the drive back yesterday, Packer started his show by mentioning that Richie had called in. And Richie does some radio himself, so he knows that when you call into these call-in shows, don't sit there and jabber on or run your mouth and say stupid stuff. He turned it over to Packer after saying a little bit. He said, so, Mark, what do you think Virginia Tech has to do to win this game? And, of course, I, I wasn't listening to the radio. I just was just hearing Richie talk on his phone. But... Mark started off his show the next day saying, yeah, we had a caller yesterday, a tech fan named Richie. I wrote it down. And he's so if you ever call in now, the, the flip side of that was it's a 600 mile drive and some Bama fan called in and he probably talked for about 510 of the 600 miles. I'm joking, of course. But so, folks, if you ever call in, it's the radio host show. Give him something to, to, to talk about. And I'm going on a huge tangent here. I totally forgot what the question was. No, just your overall thoughts two days removed. So uh, I didn't get to finish watching the game until this morning. So as we're recording the podcast, you're talking, I finished it about three and a half hours ago. And Maria Taylor asked Fuente as he was walking off the field uh, what he thought. And she brought up that he had said early on that he wanted his kids to not be uh, intimidated by the moment or whatever. And Fuente said that he thought they handled themselves very well in a big environment like that. And I would agree with that. I, I thought they came out ready to play. Um, you should never be intimidated in football if you're a good team. You know, I mean, Tech's played in big environments. It's not like they've never seen a stadium full of people. But uh, they did not lose their heads. Uh, that first drive where they came out and just went right down the field uh, was very impressive. So I, I like the way they kept their composure and executed the game plan. I also, my takeaway was uh, how Virginia Tech, and, and the announcers said this also at one point, Fowler and Herbstreet said this also. Uh, I don't remember which one of them, but he's like, you know, I'm looking at those Tech players, and, the, and they look the part. They are lean. They are athletic. Um, and I keep going back to two things. I go back to on that very first drive how easily Damon Hazleton just dispatched of Levante Taylor. You know, he, he should. Hazleton's 6'2", 225, mm -hmm. right? You know, and Taylor, uh, I, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to Florida State. He he he's not that big. He's not big. He's like 5'9 or 5'10". He's, he's, he's a, not a big guy. And Kuma was very physical a few times. Sometimes a little too physical. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I remember one play in particular where Kuma caught a simple pass on the sideline, maybe a 10-yard gain, two guys hit him, and he proceeded to get another yard or two. And he just ran over a guy on the sideline, just like he did to Quinn Blanding last year against UVA. Yes, and Ben Hilgart reacted pretty much the same. after. So uh, I really like the way I like the way Tech approached the game mentally, and I liked how they physically belonged on that field with a team full of, of top 10 recruiting classes. Yeah. Uh, ESPN, as usual, you know, had a good production, but they really showed the crowd and they showed the Florida State sideline and the kickoff team, the way they're just jumping up and down so excited right at the opening kickoff. I mean, Florida State was very mentally fired up for that game, obviously, and for Virginia Tech to go down and punch them right in the mouth on that opening drive, I think that really shocked Florida State. I think they thought, okay, we've got a new coach now. We've got Willie Taggart. We're, we've got it back now. It's fine. We've gotten rid of Jimbo, who the players clearly didn't like by the end of his tenure and I think they thought they were going to get back to being old Florida State but they've clearly got some things some more issues like when Levante Taylor got his head taken off by 
Hezekiah Grimsley late in the game. If you go back and watch that play, Taylor's just jogging. He's kind of jogging towards um, Eric Kuma. He wasn't, didn't really appear all that interested on getting in on the tackle. And if he had been running hard and playing hard, then Grimsley probably couldn't have gotten to him to deliver that blow. So I still think Florida State has some issues with, with, with playing hard and playing together and, and things like that. And that'll take a while to sort itself out. So actually being in Dope Campbell, I can tell you that uh, they, the, the Florida State crowd never really got any momentum. Um, it was very rare that they strung together two good plays in a row. Now certainly that opening drive shut them, shut them down very quickly. And it started raining. Yeah, made it even worse. And, and they would occasionally get off a good play and start to make some noise, you know, and then something would go south and they'd go back to being quiet. So um, I think if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you're concerned that you're going to be down there in Tallahassee and you're going to hear that, whoa, you're going to hear that all game long. And that really wasn't the case. They, The stadium was pretty full. They never really got full throat, you know, so that's, uh, that, that's the way to play on the road. They would have gotten into it if they had scored after that Cam Akers run. You know, that would have changed the game. Point. Well, that would have cut the game to a one-touchdown possession. Yeah, it would be 17-10. Yep. yep. And at that point, it's anybody's ball game because there's still about 10 minutes left. Right. You know, so that, that was one of many huge sequences. All the hype leading up to this game, for the most part, on a national landscape was focused on Florida State. And whether people were – you look at that CBS Sports promo, all the analysts took Florida State, ESPN, a lot of the attention was going to the Seminoles. Was that an advantage to Virginia Tech? Do you think, Chris, kind of being the underdog in that game? Uh, maybe. Um, I, I think Florida State players, you know, they look at their recruiting rankings, and I think they know they're, they're a really talented team. But sometimes if you don't know how to – like, I just look at Levante, player and the, Levante Taylor and the way he was jogging on that play. Five stars or not, you got to play hard to have success. And he was not playing hard on that play and got his head taken off as a result. So – and Virginia Tech players, obviously, you know, Tech has good players, but they don't have the – they didn't they, those guys never had the praise in the recruiting rankings like all of Florida State players did, did almost. So I think that works to their advantage to, to a certain extent. Um, but, but really, I think Justin Fuente has had, you know, three years now to build up the mentality of, of the team. And, and I thought that mentality was on display the other night. I mean, and we saw a lot of good play from guys that he recruited. Mm-hmm. I mean, Caleb Farley, ACC Defensive Back of the Week, was a Justin Fuente recruit. Richard Ashby, uh, ACC Linebacker of the Week, was a Justin Fuente recruit. I thought Dylan Rivers played pretty well. Justin Fuente recruit. Trey Turner comes up with a big catch. Justin Fuente recruit. Um, so I think we're starting to see more and more of those guys make their mark on, on the program. You know, when you're, when you're a program like Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech has been historically good but not great, you know, last 20 or 25 years, um, there, there's a – you ask, did being perceived as the underdog, was that to their advantage? Um, I think what was to their advantage was they had a darn good game plan mm-hmm. and they went out and executed it, you know. And, and confidence is a thing that it, it can so – in some cases it can leave you easily – um, if you believe in what you're doing and you've bought in and, and you feel good about what you're going to do out there on the field, you know, you play that way. And, uh, again, got to give, give credit to my buddy Richie, who uh, he's an attorney in Radford now, but uh, shortly after getting out of school, he coached at VMI, he coached at Fork Union, you know. So he's, he's done some coaching, and he did play small college ball. And he, one of the things, things he kept saying to me that I think is, is, is right on, he said, he said, watch the way Tech is playing. Fuente has got their ear. They are, they have listened to him. This team is together. They're young, you know, but but they are trusting each other, and it's uh, that's just a really impressive effort for yeah. such a young team. Confidence. You mentioned confidence, and you're exactly right. Um, confidence, player morale, player happiness. You know, not just in football, but in, in all sports. I think is the most underrated aspect of it. I think any X's and O's game plan. You know, any philosophy. Uh, whether you're running a Georgia Tech triple option, uh, the Virginia Tech offense, or the Gulf Coast offense that Willie Taggart runs, or whatever, none of that is necessarily right or wrong. Um, you, but you, the, the number one thing you have to do is you have to instill confidence in your players. You have to develop them as a team. You have to keep the morale in that locker room high. I think that's especially important in, in a sport like baseball when there's 162 games throughout the course of the season. Um, I think the most important thing uh, – for a baseball manager is just keeping the morale in the clubhouse high and, and, and 
having your players play with confidence. Uh, you know, your late game relief pitching decisions are important in the playoffs and, th- and things like that. But uh, but over the course of a regular season, I really think the most important thing in sports uh, is uh, keeping the morale high and, and having your players buy in and things like that. And I think Fuente is exceptional. So, so for a guy like me who's not a big X's and O's guy, as a, a guy, I tend to look for things like uh, the, the – when something just is working, to me, the word that comes to mind is chemistry, you know, and I think you're seeing chemistry uh, in this particular game. You know, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. Uh, but I, I did hear an interesting comment over the weekend. I don't know what I was watching and who said it, but somebody said, you know, chemistry in college football is is more important than it is in the NFL. Now, I'm not a big NFL guy, so I can't evaluate that part of that statement. But it just struck me, you know, you're right, at that level of college ball where, you, where the, the talent is definitely way up over what you have at high school and little league and all that stuff, chemistry becomes really important. Perhaps at the pro level where the talent really starts to take over and, and players move around so much, chemistry isn't such, such as big a thing. But, you know, certainly on uh, Monday night, I thought Tech had a lot of chemistry going. Well, you look in Florida State is the kind of the – antithesis of that to a certain extent I guess look how bad they were last year and every player on that team was part of a top five recruiting class yeah they had zero chemistry no chemistry and they were not having fun well players that were having chemistry no question was the defensive side of the ball and and one of the so many great moments with Bud Foster and Virginia Tech but I know in my lifetime that is one game that will forever stick out to me where he just um, game planned better than anybody on that field. I mean, what, what, I mean, execution to the guy standpoint, but what he was able to do five turnovers and what we've been talking about these last two podcasts leading up to this one was how this defense would perform with a totally new look. And, and Bud Foster just said, no, no problemo. He made it look easy for his guys out there. So, so one of the things I was thinking, uh, you know, they, they kept using that lethal simplicity description of, of Willie Taggart's offense. And I remember thinking, Wow, if it's really that simple, I want to. I wonder if Bud can make it simple to defend it. And that was a lot of the, a lot of the commentary on Twitter the other night was, uh, yeah, he, he calls his offense lethal simplicity, and Bud calls it simple to defend. Um, it's it's so so. I'm 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 looking at Florida State, and I'm wondering, you know, where are they going to go from here? Uh, I know their I know their fans are upset. Um, and, but, I mean, over the course of the next year or two, are a lot of teams going to have success defending that, that offense like Virginia Tech did? Because there's a lot of other good defenses out there. Um, so that, that's something that I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on. You know, the fans in the past at Taggart's past schools have said his inability to make in-game adjustments or kind of his undoing as, as a coach. Uh, if his offense is really that simple, then there's not a lot of adjustments you can make anyway. So if you can figure out that offense before the game – and get your defense really well prepared for it, then there's nothing Florida State can do about it. Um, I, that's that's the way I read it. I don't know. I've seen – I never I didn't see Oregon play any last year, and he was at smaller schools before last year, so I've never really watched his teams play. Um, I was not impressed with my first viewing, obviously. Now, their, ta- their talent level on the offensive line is not good. Uh, I think when you, when you recruit as many four- and five-star players as they do – you know, not all not all four and five star players work out, but most do. But I think they've had some kind of bad luck when it comes to offensive line recruiting because you'd think recruiting that many highly touted linemen that you'd have five guys that worked out, but they haven't. They have a bad offensive line, and that's going to take a couple of years to fix. Yeah. So I, I know this. You started this off as a, as a conversation about Bud Foster, but uh, just a few random thoughts. I was I was impressed with the way Tech defended the perimeter. Um. Virginia Tech's speed going in was underrated. And one of the things I was thinking going in was if Florida State gets that explosive play that, that I was so worried about, does Virginia Tech have the speed in the, in the defensive backfield to, to make up for it? And certainly on Cam Akers' long run, they did. Now, if Florida State snaps the ball from anywhere from their 20-yard line on, that's a touchdown. But they snapped it from, what was that, I think their six-yard line or something like that. And you saw the full out run by Khalil Ladler, who is, doesn't even have the reputation of being one of the faster guys on the defense. He slowed Akers down a little bit, and Bryce Watts caught him. And Bryce Watts is a sprinting champion from the state of New Jersey. 
You know, you, you can you can make up if you got enough field, you can make up for mistakes that you make on defense, and that certainly happened on that play. Was that was that Reggie Floyd two point Yeah, something Oh like yeah, that. absolutely. And Jim and Jimmy Williams two thousand four. Exactly. And old school tech fans will call it the Tory and Gray award. The Tory and Gray and Tiki Barber. Against UVA. Exactly right. Uh, the thing that stood out to me is I think Virginia Tech did an exceptional job of identifying key reads to recognize what plays were coming. There were so many times when Florida State was running the ball to the outside and and the Tech linebackers and safeties were right there taking the exact right angle. It's like they were basically meeting the Florida State running back at the spot. They knew exactly where it was going, and that's all based on key reads. Like what happens, what direction does the guard take his first step in and, and things like that. And I think Virginia Tech was just extremely well prepared for the game when it comes to that. And, and you, you, and everybody's heard that stat: Florida State ran 63 offensive plays, and 35 of them resulted in no gain or a loss. And it wasn't just that they were they were losing yardage; they were losing four and five yards on running plays. Yeah, it's, it's not like you know a one yard loss here and there. I mean, yeah, yeah the first couple of drives of the second half I think they lost five and four yards on the, on the first down play on running plays and I running the football running the football and I tweeted out man they really need to start passing it on first down to get themselves up from from behind the chains uh, but then they tried that on the on the third drive and tech promptly sacked them down yeah. inside the five yard line so I don't think anything they could have done in the second half was going to get was going to work against Virginia Tech well, you mentioned defending the perimeter you thought was a key, and someone who did a great job, that was Caleb Farley. Again, somebody that Hokie fans have been very eager to see play, especially after missing last season due to injury. Two interceptions for him at corner, and not only was it a great start for him, but also I didn't realize uh, the story that he has and that Maria Taylor spoke on. I mean, it, it gave me goosebumps just to see what he was able to do on a primetime stage. And, and you saw, I don't know if you guys follow Hokie, Hokie's football on Instagram, but there was a video of Fuente giving him the biggest hug uh, in the tunnel after the game. You had to, your, your heart had to smile after seeing the performance he had. Yeah, so every, everybody knows that Farley was hurt at the very beginning of camp as a true freshman had to sit out the year. His mom passed away in January, was it? Um, and Fuente talked about that at the ACC football kickoff down in Charlotte in July. And he, he said that when, uh, when Farley's mom passed away that he called him. Uh, Fuente called Farley to give him his, his condolences. And Fuente said, and he made me feel better. You know, and that's the kind of kid he is. So, yeah, Fuente's certainly got a soft spot for Farley and, and that he was the story of the game on the field and off the field. Yeah, and it goes a little deeper than that, too. When he tore his ACL last year, he tore it doing an extra drill that Fuente had asked him to do. So Fuente felt awful about that yeah. to, to begin with. So, yeah, I mean, I think uh, uh, Farley holds a, little, a special place in his heart. For so, so that's – Part of what you're seeing, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about how this is becoming more and more Fuente's team. You know, you're starting to see you're going to get more stories like that, and he's going to be connected closer to a Caleb Farley than he was maybe with a Mook Reynolds or somebody like that. Yeah, right. Well, th think of it like the Frank Beamer Macho Harris story, yeah. where Frank Beamer's going in on his in home visit and the kitchen catches kitchen fire, on fire yeah. and, and Macho gets his arms burned, and Frank goes to the hospital with him. and and you know Frank can, can sympathize because Frank suffered some bad burn injuries when he was a kid. So there will be more and more stories like that as, as more players come through the program that Fuente starts to develop a relationship with when they're 15 and 16 year old, rather than taking over 20 year olds that that, that right. were recruited by the previous staff. Taking a look at at Farley though and the defensive back unit as a whole though. You have to feel extremely confident uh, if you're Bud Foster with that group moving forward after week one. Yeah, uh, I think they played well. I think there's plenty of talent. I thought Divine Diablo looked like an NFL player out there. Uh, I, you know, I think some Tech fans are disappointed that Devin Hunter's not, not playing, but after seeing Khalil Labler play the other night, I think we know why that guy's a really good player. Yeah, so I got, I got in the office this morning, and, and after watching the game, I thought to myself, man, Ladler's all over the place. Now you know why Hunter isn't starting at, at that spot. And I, so I pulled up the stats, and it said Ladler had two tackles. And I said, are you kidding me, just two? He was all over the field all game long. And, yeah, I pulled up the play-by-play -play and searched on his name, and he's credited with just two tackles. But it seemed like he had about seemed, nine or yeah. ten. He was in on almost every play, it seemed yeah, like. It yeah. really did. Well, he had a fumble recovery. He broke up a pass. Uh -huh. uh, he had a big tackle for loss earlier in the game. So, yeah, I thought he played really well. Uh, there will be greater challenges because, you know, let's face it, Florida State is adjusting to a new, a new offense. And five of their top seven receivers are freshmen. So we yeah. talk about Virginia Tech's youth. 
and, and how Virginia Tech's receivers look bigger and better than Florida State's. What's well, because they are. Those Florida State guys are freshmen, and freshmen just aren't big and strong enough yet, as we found out, the la- as Virginia Tech found out the last couple of years. Uh, so Florida State, they're going to get better, but it's going to take a while, I think. Continuing on the Tech Sideline podcast, which is brought to you each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm. Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, Evan Hughes talking about Virginia Tech's big win over Florida State on Monday. Well, a lot of credit goes to Bud Foster and, and the defense like we've talked about because Bud has been in this situation so many times. But so has Charlie Wiles, who's been here quite some time in the defensive line, and especially Trevon Hill. What, what a story he had. It really was uh, – it felt like so many times in the game that the D-line was just quite simply beating the offensive line of Florida State. Yeah, you know, early in the game, Virginia Tech was shutting down the run, but Florida State was doing a pretty good job in the passing game, and I wasn't really happy about Tech's pass rush. And, and I tweeted on the TSL account, I said, man, I re- you know, Florida State's offensive line isn't all that good. I really thought Virginia Tech would get more pressure on the quarterback. Literally the next defensive play, Trevon Hill comes around the edge with a sack. And from there, it was kind of like the floodgates opened. So something was going on with Hill. He didn't start, and he didn't play till very late in the first quarter. So it almost looked like a, uh, a one-quarter. Well, it wasn't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't I wouldn't believe it was a suspension. So I, don't go there. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, 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 the rumor the whole – well, let's go ahead and talk about it now. Uh, I don't have a problem talking about it. Uh, the rumor the whole summer was that he was going to be suspended. And then I was told sometime over the weekend that there was some kind of an appeal process and he won it. And I know Virginia Tech practiced with Emmanuel Belmar as the first team defensive end the entire month of August. And, and they made mention on the ESPN broadcast of, an, of a, quote, academic issue getting cleared up well, late. Well, there you go. So Virginia Tech was preparing for Florida State with Emmanuel Belmar as their starting defensive end. Yeah. So they used him as their starting defensive end the whole month. So when it came time to the game, he started because that's what they had been preparing for the entire month. I don't think they were really anticipating having Hill for that game, possibly. So maybe they were sitting him for the first quarter. But what I got a chuckle out of was Florida State. Uh, I don't remember the yardage, what the play was, but they, they had a really nice pickup very late in the first quarter. It was probably 20, 25, 30 yards. And and here comes Hill. There were, there were still about 25, 30 seconds left to go in that first quarter. But uh, if they were sitting him, planning on sitting him for the entire first quarter, they, I think they lost their stomach for it right about then and sent him in there. And it was a play or two later that he made a big play, made a sack or something like that. Wrapping up the defense, I, I, before we get to the offense, do want to bring up something that actually just came uh, into uh, news today before we got started was uh, Willie Taggart on his ACC teleconference saying that um, he felt that Virginia Tech was intentionally at times uh, when the offense got going, players were dropping due to injuries. He felt that that was uh, intentional. And, of course, Justin Fuente came back and said that, you know, first of all, we look at humidity from Blacksburg to Tallahassee, very different. Uh, there was a, I read somewhere that the guys were getting IVs at halftime, and that was very real. Yeah. So I start with this, uh, starting with you, Will, on this topic. Is, is that a little bit of sour grapes from Willie Taggart? Do you think he has a point? Is a little, do you see both sides on that, or, or where do you stand? Excuse me while I tread carefully with my answer. Um, <laughs> I felt in the stadium that there was a little bit of gamesmanship on Virginia Tech's part. Um, some of the injuries were legit. Ricky Walker, whatever happened with him, that was legit. That, that was two of them. That was an ankle, and then he smashed helmets with with, with, uh, with Reggie Floyd, Floyd later. Yeah. Those were legit. There were others that, uh, you know, everybody saw uh, Xavier Burke getting captured by ESPN cameras, trotting along, and then just going to ground. Didn't even grab a leg or anything like that. Just dropped. Um, and after Cam Akers' long run, Trayvon Hill was chasing him down the field for the first 50 yards or so. You know, I said I said to somebody uh, the next day, I said, if that had been Daddy Nicholas, Daddy would have caught him. Boy, Daddy could run. But anyway, back to the topic. Uh, and then mysteriously, Trayvon's laying around the field, and, and the cameras never did, did have an ISO of him going down, so you don't know what was going on there. But if you look at – I mean, that was after a big Florida State play, and two or three of these injuries, in air quotes, were after big Florida State plays. Um I, I'm, I'm going to put a stake in the ground here. I absolutely think there was some gamesmanship by Virginia Tech there. And uh, it's evidence that, man, that this coaching staff wants to win. You uh, know? And it doesn't bother me. It's a tool in the toolbox. Yeah, it's a tool in the toolbox, and there's no way it can be proven. And, and it's Florida State. And Taggart even said, you know, we're going to see more of that. And it's not like he's never seen it before. Sure. Yeah. And, and he didn't bring it up himself. I mean, he was asked about it, and he yeah. answered honestly. So it's not like he was out there 
openly being critical and everything like that. It's certainly not the first time he's ever seen that, and it won't be the last. And, and Fuente was directly asked, did your players fake injuries? And he did not answer the question. He said, well, you know, we were we concerned had, with, had with uh, obvious, uh, is what he said. you know, he and the humidity was a factor. And directly say no. I know I was listening to the postgame radio show after the game on Monday night, and uh, Kuma, I think it was Kuma, that they asked Kuma about the weather and the humidity and everything like that, and he was like, yeah, he's like, yeah, it was hot, but it wasn't that big a deal. We practiced in the indoor facility with the doors closed. He, so he was like, this was like a glorified practice, is, is, the, is, the, is the way Kuma described it. So he, the way Kuma talked, he said practicing was actually harder than playing. And he said he thought the, the rain before the game cooled things down as well. So the, the temperature wasn't bad, but I can tell you, it, it, it's been a while since I've been to Florida. Um, I'm in, in Orlando probably three years ago. Man, Tallahassee was humid. The temperature difference wasn't that big between Tallahassee and Blacksburg, but it was humid. I came out the day after the game, and there was standing water on my car like it had rained the night before, you know. And, and yeah, we're all used to dew point and stuff like that, and condensation collects, but the temperature never really got below about 78 degrees, and still there's standing water on my car. It is humid down there. Well, it does remind me of this, and I'm going to need your help to fill in the book. Wasn't one of Virginia Tech's first bowl wins, a player went down to get a last-second field goal on against, oh, gosh, was it NC State or something? There was some mm-hmm. uh, player that went down. We were able to – Tech was out of timeouts and able to kick the game-winning field goal. Oh, yeah, that was absolutely faked. That was the 1986 Peach Bowl of my senior year. And, uh, yeah, Tech was out of timeouts, and uh, I think it was Maurice Williams who faked an injury. And Maurice just flat told the press later, he's like, yeah, you know, it hurt. Somebody tackled me, and it hurt a little bit, and I was getting ready to get up, and the coaches were yelling at me, stay down, stay down. So, yeah, they admitted after that when that was faked. So, definitely something to keep an eye on there, Willie Taggart's comments. All right, let's move to the offensive side of the ball. I thought the defense deserved to be talked about first with their five turnovers. We saw Josh Jackson 2.0 in his sophomore year. Uh, statistically put up great numbers. You look at some of his final stats, completion percentage uh, was high. He had a couple of big throws. Uh, starting with you, Chris, on this, what signs of improvement did you see in his game from last year to game one against Florida State? Uh, you know, I thought he did fine. I thought he was really – he really knew where to go with the ball. You never saw him back up there looking confused and throwing in the coverage and things like that. I think there, on the second drive of the game, there were probably a couple throws he'd like to have back. But but he also probably should have had or could have had four touchdown passes in that game. You know, the second drive, uh, Hazleton didn't quite get get his foot down, and then Kuma with the push off offensive pass interference call and. He didn't need to push that guy at all. And I don't, the guy was already falling back and everything, and I know Tech fans are like, ah, they shouldn't have been called. He was weak. Yeah, but if you put your hands out as a wide receiver, you have to be smart enough not to do that. And yet you can't do that up around a guy's shoulders or it's going to get called. You have to do it lower around his waist if you do it at all. But in this case, he didn't need to do it uh, because he already had position, and he was five or six inches taller than that guy, quite frankly. And that was going to be a touchdown pass. So – Actually, Paul Jackson might have gotten cheated out of a couple touchdowns in that game. I thought he missed one. Uh, I don't remember which drive it was on, but I think he had Grimsley on a slant right now near the goal line, and and Grimsley had inside position, and Josh just missed him. You know, um, uh, I thought it was interesting that the quarterback running game was not part of the game plan. I think they threw a couple of them in there to try to fool Florida State, and they weren't fooled. Um, the other thing I noticed was that the uh, – tell me whether or not you agree with this – The the offensive line splits for Tech were tight. Those yeah, guys, yeah, they were they were they were packed in, and man, the perimeter blocking um, from the tight ends, the tackles, and the wide receivers was was phenomenal. Well, you know, Tech did some uh, double teaming of those defensive tackles. Uh, if you read Brandon Patterson's article on TSL that was that was posted, uh, you know, Tech did a lot of double teaming of those defensive tackles at times. So that would make sense if, if the offensive line was packed in tight to get double teams on both those players. Yeah. The one player I was so excited to look for in, in year two for me was Deshaun McLeese. And that first drive, I mean, you just got the the idea, wow, he could be something special this year. Didn't get the ball as much down the stretch in the game, but I personally felt like it was a solid game one performance for McLeese kind of leading that running back group. I, I thought it was your typical McLeese performance when he gets 10-plus carries. It was another double-digit carry performance where he averaged five yards per carry. Um but again, you know, it's the same concern. I was reading the, the pro football focus grades from that game this morning, and he broke one tackle on his 13 carries. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Peoples broke four. Peoples isn't as explosive after he breaks his tackle. But he's powerful. But he's, but he, but he's powerful. Uh, 
you know, I think McLeese has good vision. He's got better vision than, than Peoples. I think there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, Peoples, Fuente admits it. He said, you know, he's he's sees the hole when he goes. He doesn't tippy-toe around waiting for a better hole to open up or anything like that, but sometimes it can be good, sometimes it can be bad. He knows who he is as a player and all that. Um, but I, I think McLeese has improved his upper body strength. Uh, his legs are still skinny. I think they're going to limit his carries. He's not going to be a 20-carry guy because he's not big enough. Um, but I, I think around 15 carries a game in big games or, uh, or so is, is ideal for him. Um, and I thought he, I thought that was about right the other night. I'd like to see a little more Terrace Wheatley, to be honest. I thought the jet sweeps with Wheatley were yeah. an interesting wrinkle, and, and they were also pretty darn successful. I don't know what his stats wound up being. but uh, Two carries, 22 yards. Yeah, yeah, you know, he got around the corner a couple times. and uh, Tech's perimeter blocking was good in this game. Yeah. And, the, and that's that's why I, I'm sure we'll get to this later, but let's go ahead and get to it right now. The fourth and one call from inside the one-yard line. I would have personally kicked the field goal um, because it would have been a, made it a three-score game. Sure. And I didn't think there was any way in the world Florida State was, was going to be able to score 17 points on, on Virginia Tech. But you could have talked me into going for it, and I certainly don't think it was a bad decision to go for it. Um, I thought the Florida State defensive tackles, though, were kind of the, their strength in this game. And, and uh, one of them pretty much came in almost unblocked, yeah, it seems. came in. Yeah. And uh, I, I would have done something on the edge, whether it was a Wheatley or McLeese or, or something. But Virginia Tech had success running the ball on the edge in this game, and uh, that's where I would have attacked. I, I would have I faked the run into the middle of the line and done that little pop pass to Chris Cunningham or something like yeah. that. You know, that that's – that's a really hard play to stop. I mean, I it was know. a long one, you know, it was by where the spot was. That was almost two yards. I felt like. Yeah, and it. Uh, you can always slice and dice these decisions, you know. But the bottom line was Fuente's attitude was, you know, what if we don't score here, we've got him inside their one yard line, and and he was right. It stood up. Yeah, and Brad Burn had done a great job of continuously penning them deep in their own territory. Oh my so gosh, I, the, the that was that was coming up a little bit later. Let's bring it up now. Oscar Bradburn, I think, was one of the unsung heroes in this game. What a performance from the Australian punter! It just doesn't make headlines when punters just pin guys inside the twenty over and over and over. That's demoralizing, you know. Every, every punt was, uh, I don't want to say perfectly executed, but very well executed. And then Florida State contributed to this at one point. Bradburn did punt it down to the five, and the guy fair caught it inside the five. And, and that's a no-no, you know. But, man, what, what a, just a, a great job by him as a punter. Yeah, I think when you look at Florida State, no matter the fact that they're young or they're going through a coaching transition or whatever, they've still got a lot of talented athletes guys who, when they get the ball in space, can take it the distance. So I think it's really imperative to hold them down in the kicking game. And they had 14 opportunities for returns between punt returns and kick returns on Monday night. They were only able to return one kickoff or punt in this game, and that was the last kickoff of the game. And he ran it out because they had to run it out and try to make yeah, something happen. Yeah, you know, so uh, I just think that's 14 chances for Florida State didn't have, or 13 chances Florida State did not have to make an explosive game, and that's that's critical. So, you know, that, that brings up something. Uh, um, people talk about how Frank's, Frank Beamer's emphasis on special teams changed the game of college football, and, and Tech fans don't like to hear me say this, but I just kind of go, you know what, Bobby Bowden was doing that before Frank Beamer did it, you know, and you, you could sit there, you could take – Tech took, took some good teams and played Florida State years ago and would battle them and battle them, and then Tech would lose because they'd throw an interception for a touchdown. Or in the case of the 2005 ACC championship game, they would give up a punt return for a touchdown. Or, or sometimes a punt or, return and a punt block for a touchdown. Let's not talk about the national championship game, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, and uh, it, it is critical that with their athletes, you know, you talk about explosive plays. We're not just talking about running and passing plays. We're talking about special teams plays too. Well, let's bring up the special teams, the the block from Cunningham and then Kuma picking it up. I Still, my favorite part, though, was the fact that the ESPN pan right to Coach Beamer after it happened. For him to be in the stands to see that uh, Beamer ball, you know, continuing on in his legacy. But first of all, it was a great play. And you, I mean, if you watch Justin Fuente on the sideline, I thought that was the most animated he got the entire game. Oh, yeah, absolutely was. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't see what happened at first because of the camera angle. I was watching the game in a bar, so it was loud, so I couldn't hear the announcers. And so you see it happen, and I saw the Florida State punter fall, and I'm like, are you kidding me? We roughed him in the end zone. <laughs> and the next thing I know, touchdown. Touchdown. I'm like, what in the world is going on? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, 
What a great play. I bet, man, Kuma was talking. Actually, Kuma was talking after the game. He was like, man, that ball was in the air for a long time. So you're just sitting there <laughs> waiting on that ball. Or, or you're waiting for somebody to come hit you from behind right before the ball gets there. But uh, that couldn't have worked out any better. That's got to be one of the shortest re- punt returns for a touchdown in, in college football history. So you, you talked about Fuente being animated. I, th- I thought in general his engagement level this entire game was high. Was and, oh, for sure. Normal, normal. He's usually very stoic, you know, and um, Kirk Herbstreet highlighted something very late in the game that I noticed first time when it happened. At, at the end of the first half, Fuente gathered the team around him before they went off the field and into the locker room, and he got everybody around him, and, and the head was bobbing, and he was pointing, and you could tell he was – I don't know what he was saying. I wish somebody had asked him, and maybe we'll – Well, well he does well, that – to be fair, he does that every game. Does he really? Yeah. He, okay. he gathers, gathers mm-hmm. the team in a huddle on the sideline every. Day. Is it every quarter or at the end of every half? End of every half, um, before they go into halftime locker room. Okay, well there you go. Yep. So he doesn't wait until they get in there. Right. But it, it was certainly you know fun to see because he's running down the sideline. He's got both of his hands uh, in the air, and it, it, that was in a sense a turning point. Not that Virginia Tech wasn't ahead, but that really kind of put them in in the driver's seat for the rest of the game. We've only seen him get really emotional four times in his tenure. Um, I think the first time was when they hammered UNC in that hurricane, and him and Foster had that big hug on the mm-hmm. sideline. You could tell he really wanted to win that game. Uh, when he got the personal foul at Notre Dame, <laughs> when he disagreed with that false start call, and he went nuts. And then UNC again, last year, last year when he when Greg Stroman returned the punt for a touchdown, and he was running up the sideline. I think he really takes. He loves him from he, UNC. He, he loves beating the heck out of UNC, I'll say that. And then this, I think he really wanted to, to win this game. Uh, I think it was a big deal to him. Uh, you know, he said on Tech Talk Live on uh, Sunday night, he was like, there's a common misconception, I forget his exact quote, but I'm going to paraphrase here. He said, there's a common misconception about me that I, I lack emotion. And he's like, it's actually the direct opposite. I just try really, really, really hard to rein it in and not show it and things like that. Yeah, he yeah he said that before. He's like, I had to learn early in my career to, to dial it down. Yeah. Well, when you pick your moments too, that'll really get the guys fired up. If you pick that right yeah, moment, it can feed off the team. You have to pick the right moment. Absolutely right. I mean, if, if you do it all the time, then it doesn't mean anything. It's no different <laughs> than a manager getting ejected trying to fire up sure. his players. Yeah, like, yeah. So yeah. That's exactly, you're exactly right. So, overall, great win for Virginia Tech. 24-3 winners over Florida State. Again, you're listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast, presented each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm. All right, guys, let's move ahead to this week and talk about the news that really surfaced on Tuesday, I guess 24 hours after the game. Virginia Tech, the second highest jump out of any team in the AP Top 25 poll, going from 20 to 12. The only move that was bigger was LSU from 25 to 11. It was one of our Tech Sideline poll questions of the week. We appreciate you all uh, participating in that one. And we had nearly 400 people chime in, and it was either too high, just right, or should be higher the options. 57% say too high, 40% say just right, and 3% say should be higher. What does Will Stewart have to say to that? Uh, I think that's probably too high at this point. Um, you know, that, that was a great first game. And I think that the team you saw on Monday night maybe was the number 12 team in the country. I, I don't think you're really going to see that team all year. You know, they'll, they'll have their moments. And, you know, that's uh, – it's funny to go on a bit of a tangent. Um, I, I playing at Pittsburgh is tough. I feel pretty good about the Pittsburgh game. I, I, I think if you're gonna probably this year beat Bud Foster's defense, you're gonna do it with misdirection and things like that, and that's gonna make Georgia Tech tough. So I think there will be some ups and downs the rest of the way. Um, I, I just that's 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 really getting up there, and, and maybe maybe Monday night, yeah, that's what you saw. Although the number twelve team in the country spending the entire third quarter on the other team's side of the field probably would have scored some points. You yeah, know? yeah, I mean, I, I think Florida State, I think they've got a good defense. I think Francois, despite the numbers on Monday night, is a good quarterback. But I think their offensive line, and Tech fans know how this feels, yeah. that offensive line is going to make everybody on that team look bad. That's how bad it is. It is and it's, it's discouraging it to the defense. Semester. Exactly. Yeah. It's very discouraging to the defense. And this, this is going to be Willie Taggart's greatest challenge this year is keeping morale up in the locker room when their offensive line costs them game after game against good competition. Yeah. Um, when everybody else plays well except for the offensive line. 
and you know, for a guy like DeAndre Francois, it's tough to get out of bed in the morning when you know what's going to happen to you at work that day. Sure, <laughs> and it's, you're just going to get beat into the ground. I think it's a little bit high, but because because of that, because I, I think Florida State's offensive line is just so weak. Um, football presents different matchups each week. You could, I mean, I don't think Duke is as good per se as, as Florida State, but I think they are a tougher matchup for. Virginia Tech. I agree with that. Yeah. So I don't think that game is going to be Virginia Tech's greatest challenge of September. I think the next three games are going to be breezes. I think the William and Mary's an FBS team who went two and nine last year. East Carolina lost to North Carolina A and T at home. Virginia Tech is going to hammer them. Old Dominion. I, I know Tech fans from the seven five seven will say, "Oh wait, their fans are going to be fired up to play Virginia Tech." <laughs> well, they, they, they all twenty thousand. Was it, was it 50? All twenty thousand? All twenty thousand of them. And, and guess what? They lost to Liberty 52-10 to 10 this week. They were picked sixth in their division. They yeah. are not good. They are bad. Virginia Tech will steamroll those guys if Virginia Tech shows up with a moderate pulse. Um, but, but Duke will be a different story. Duke has a good defense. Uh, they got a third-year starter at quarterback, and they're extremely well coached. And, and it's the look-ahead factor to Notre Dame because, honestly, you know, Tech is ranked 12th in the country. Notre Dame's ranked 8th. Virginia Tech... It was undefeated into that game. I mean, you're talking like number five versus number seven. That's what I was like that. So if if Tech wins out in really Virginia Tech fans, the big game for Notre Dame is when they have to play Stanford and Bryce Love. That's before, going to be yeah. the, uh, the the big game for them. But you're talking about. I mean, there was so much hype for College Game Day coming last year for Clemson, and totally understandable with them being the defending national champs. But you're talking about Virginia Tech being ranked inside the top 10 and if you're able to beat Notre Dame they keep winning and be higher you have a chance you win that game you're talking about a top seven top six ranking if you're able to run the table and beat Notre Dame I mean I don't want to get too far ahead because this is a young team like we talked with a ton of talent but the stars are aligned so to speak for Virginia Tech to make a deep run into the AP top 25 poll and from that stone standpoint this game against Florida State was critical. It sets the table for the rest of the season and how much hype you get you get built around. And the bottom line is, you know, perception is sometimes greater than reality. I don't know if Virginia Tech's the 12th best team in the country or not, but they've got a number 12 next to their name right now. They certainly weren't the second best team in, in the country in 2002, but for a big chunk of that season, that was a number next to their name. Yeah. Um, and, 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 I, and that's – the perception. I mean, the bottom line is Virginia Tech was a top five team in 2002. They actually they were not, but they were for most of the year. Same thing in 2003, and that's what people see. That's what recruits see. Um, so I, I think I think it's very important I'd, to stay ranked. I'd rather be overranked than not ranked Absolutely. at all. Absolutely, no question. Well, and, and so I had one more thought on the poll from this week. You know, you saw West Virginia put up huge numbers against Tennessee this week, and I was initially surprised in the sense of that they weren't high. I mean, Will Greer's getting all this love for Heisman. Now, where they where they wound up? They wound up at. 14, I believe. Hmm. Now, and they were at 70, so I was initially thinking, I was surprised, I expected West Virginia to be ranked ahead. But here's what I took away from the voters. They valued more, not only a ranked win, but a ranked win on the road, rather than West Virginia winning at a neutral site. Yeah, and I think there's more value to be placed on beating Florida State than Tennessee. Um, You know, Florida State, for whatever issues they had last year, with the exception of offensive line, they still have a lot of talent on that team. And I know that they're young at wide receiver, but I just don't know about Tennessee. I, I don't know if they're any good at sure. all. Sure. Yeah. But anyways, a great jump for Virginia Tech, 12. I mean, number 12 in the country right now. They'll turn their focus to William & Mary on a short week, which is something that Coach Fuente has talked about in his uh, post-game press conference in this week. That's the, the challenge right now of the week is to get this team prepared on a short week. Keep in mind, folks, they did not get back to Blacksburg until about 6 a.m. on Tuesday morning. Um, so, you know, they're running on short rest. Yeah. So what is preparation like this week? Are there certain things you might maybe cut out of I, this week? Yeah, I think there are certain things. I don't know exactly what they would do. I don't think I would have – if I were them, I wouldn't have a real big contact session. I, from, I probably wouldn't even have any contact at all at all, yeah. if I were them. I, so I would cut out middle drill and things like that. And, and it, it would be limited contact uh, – maybe shoulder pads only, and then a walkthrough on Friday. But, yeah, you've got to cut out a big chunk of things because you don't get back till Tuesday, so you don't practice on Tuesday. Right. You need a day off, and then you practice Wednesday, Thursday, and then a walkthrough on Friday. So, uh, yeah, I think you have certainly have to cut back the contact. So, really, Will, Virginia Tech won't be in their week-to-week groove until uh, ECU prep week. 
Yep, that's right. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know enough about the inner workings of a program to decide what a coaching staff does and doesn't cut out. You know, how much film study do you need to do of Wayman Mary? You know, and it's a rhetorical question. I don't know. You know, or do you just tell your guys, listen, they basically run this kind of offense. These are their good players. Everybody pin your ears back and go. You know? yeah, they scored 14 points against Bucknell. Right. Two yeah. and nine last year. Um, I guess Texas is not going to have to work very hard to win. This so game. you maintain your gap, maintain your discipline, and you'll be you able to athletically. Yes. Yeah. Now, the story for William & Mary this entire season is going to be Jimmy Laycock yeah. uh, entering his 39th and final season as the head coach of the William & Mary Tribe. You know, I was reading up on him. He had offers to go and, and be coaches. Boston College that. was a big one. Did, yeah. you re- did you read the Boston College story? Yes. Uh, well, not in great detail. Just mentioned that he was linked to that job. But he has done wonders at William & Mary in the CAA, which I would argue is the toughest FCS, FCS conference um, in football. So regardless of what record they're going to be this year, those players would love nothing more than to give Coach Laycock a win at Virginia Tech in his final no year. Doubt. I mean, this is the Frank Beamer of, F, of FCS, really. In fact, he and Beamer played against each other. He, he played at William & Mary with Jim Cavanaugh. I believe they, they, were, team, they were teammates. And, yeah. Beamer was actually going to go to the Oklahoma game this week to since Shane is coaching out there now, but he's actually coming back to Blacksburg to see Laycock coach one. And they're good friends, I believe. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're in-state guys who have known each other for a long time. So this is a throwback, and you know, Laycock is kind of like the Frank Beamer of, of for William and Mary. He never won a national championship, but he got him to the F, uh, to the to the playoff semifinals a couple of times. And they've been really close and just a really successful program for a long, long time. Yeah. yeah, and they've started to tail off lately. They didn't win any conference games last year, right? So it's time. You know, he's had a good long career, and it's, uh, you know, it'll. I'm sure he and Frank will probably see each other this week, and I don't know how much time Laycock will have. But. Uh, you know, that'll be interesting. You know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this to see who gets that job when it comes open. If I'm a guy like Steiny, I would love it. I would love that job. I know Steiny's a JMU grad, so I don't know if that rivalry holds any bearing there, but Steiny's a 7.57 recruiting expert. And, uh, you know, plus if you coach at William and Mary, man, you get to coach really smart guys. Yeah. You know? And I think that would be a really enjoyable job to have as a, as a football coach. All right. So if everything goes to plan for Virginia Tech this week, I think in a perfect world, they would love to get some uh, some younger guys in, in, in the backups and uh, guys in maybe the second half, fourth quarter. Are there any hokey players, maybe freshmen, sophomore, that you're eager to see if Virginia Tech is able to get out to an early lead? I want to see more Dax Hollyfield. Um, or Holyfield, however you pronounce it. Uh, um, like to see some Devin Hunter. Um, let's think. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's funny you ask because watching the film, I saw a lot of young guys on the field. <laughs> yeah. There's not a whole lot of guys left that didn't play. Um, so that's uh, more, more Terrace Wheatley for me. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm just all about generating more big plays from the tailback position, so I got to go with Wheatley. Yeah, that's a good one. My, my, I'm curious to see if Josh Jackson's going to come out. Who, and I haven't looked at this part, is the backup quarterback? Will we see any Quincy Patterson? Will it be um, yeah. the guy from Kansas whose name is Ryan escaping? Willis. Ryan yeah. Willis. I'm curious yeah. to see who will come in in relief. I would be shocked if it was Patterson. I don't think he would do that in a game like this. Uh, unless you thought he had a real chance to move up the depth chart and be the backup. By the end I, don't, I don't think he even traveled to the Florida State game. Really? I asked our photographer to find him and take a picture of him, and he said, uh, I didn't see him. He wasn't there. Interesting. So, yeah. okay, if he didn't travel, then they're not going to play him, as, or at least you wouldn't think. Um, yeah, well, they knew they weren't going to play him against Florida State. Yeah, yeah, yeah ex- exactly right. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I would expect him to be dressed out this weekend. But I, – in a, in a game like this, I think where you anticipate playing your backup quarterback, you want to play the backup quarterback who would take over for Josh Jackson if Jackson got hurt. Yeah. You want to get that guy as many reps as possible. So to me, Quincy Patterson would be a specialized situation as a short yardage read option quarterback against Notre Dame, against Georgia Tech, against Miami in the Tech's biggest games of the year. That's how, If I were going to use him, that's how I would use him. Yeah, so if, if there's a guy I'd like to see, he's not a young guy, but if there's a guy I'd like to see, I'd like to see at least a quarter and a half of Ryan Willis. So He had a great spring game. We'll be definitely interested to see uh, how he does if he gets some playing time this week. All right, winding down the TSL podcast this week leading up to the William Mary game. It's presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm. The other uh, tech sideline poll question we had, I put out uh, best opening week victory uh, in tech history, and honestly, the 
this one is right up there, I think, if you go and look at the history. 77% of our 125 votes put the Florida State, 16% West Virginia. I threw in the 2012 Georgia Tech just because I remember watching that and uh, the overtime. Then I also threw out uh, 2007 versus East Carolina. You could have gone North Carolina State, I believe, in 05. Yeah, that was a big one. That was a big one. So a majority going with Florida State on Monday. All right, let's get to some of our fans who chimed in. Uh, for this week excited to uh, bring in that element uh, to the podcast at the moment uh, VT Manish says not really a question but he just has a statement saying I'd love to see a piece on our strength coach uh, coach Hilgert that win last night was partly because of his offseason work not a question but he has uh, gotten our young talent ready to play sooner than expected hashtag hard smart tough and hashtag grit Will did a piece well, it didn't really do it on Hillgard. Um, if when you say peace on Hillgard, you want us to write an article because um, no, we're not allowed to talk to him. We've requested him, not recently though. We requested him when he was hired, and like yeah. no. Yeah. So I did. Uh, I did uh, call up a guy named Kyle Caderna who worked under Hillgard at uh, was it New Mexico? He was at yeah. yeah. And Caderna had some interesting comments about Hillgard, but and just uh, getting guy how he gets guys to work hard. Yeah, so and, and how he monitors guys. He looks at them when they don't know he's paying attention to them and, and what he looks for. Now, you've got a, a comment that a staffer, Chris, a staffer made to you when Hilgart first started working. And he said, you're not going to see it right away, but wait two or three years. Yeah, um, I remember sitting out there, maybe the first spring practice of the Fuente era, and a staff member was sitting next to me and said, you know, this won't be obvious right away because it takes two or three years to build bodies, but two or three years from now, you're going to see a big difference in our players because Ben Hilbert is awesome. And, and I think I, I think Eric Kuma is, is an example of that, oh, how man. physical he's the, got. The lower body strength he showed on that touchdown run the other night. Yeah. And honestly, go line those teams up again. And, and, and did Florida State look like they had a bunch of five-star recruits and Virginia Tech had a bunch of three-star recruits? No, they looked pretty much the same to me. Yeah, yeah, they did. Zach Barefoot writes, what a secondary that included Mook, Terrell Adonis have done a better job than what the new guys did Monday night. I'm not sure. Terrell to Diablo, Adonis to Farley slash Watts, Mook to Ladler. Not sure any of the early departures would have done any better than the new guys did. That's a fair point. I thought, I thought, I thought Diablo was awesome. I thought, uh, you know, I thought Cole Ladler was really good. Reggie Floyd was his always usual reliable self. I'll say this. I, I, don't, th- I don't know if Alexander, Faison, or or Strowman would have caught Acres. Uh, I think it. Oh, that touchdown I think, run. I think it took the New Jersey 100 meters champion to catch him. Yeah, um, it, I'm trying to think of poor poor plays made by the defensive backs. The only one I can think of is is Farley That's arm tackle. trying to arm tackle Acres, and and certainly you know those guys that you just listed. I mean, Mook was the one who got run over by the Pittsburgh guy, and and I don't want to overstate it. Almost lost the game. Right. You know, if not for Reggie Floyd running him down close to the goal line. Yeah, um, so, so the point I'm making is those guys can blow plays too, you know. Yeah, and, and, you know, let's get this straight. I don't think we miss those guys for this game. We'll miss them at some point this yeah. year. Because, honestly, Tech had young defensive backs. Like I said, they're getting attacked by a wide receiver core that was five out of seven freshmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so it, that was an advantage, Virginia Tech, quite honestly. And they will play Notre Dame, and, and they will play Duke, and they will play uh, maybe not necessarily Miami in the way they looked the other night, but there will be greater sh- challenges ahead than the Florida State pa- offense. So the more, the more we keep analyzing this, the more I keep thinking, what a great team to open up with for this Virginia Tech squad. The fact that Florida State was ranked, mm-hmm. it was in a hostile environment, when something I forgot to bring up was the ratings the last uh, – This is the, that was the highest-rated regular season college football game in the last two years – uh, just had to throw that out there. But they were able to win that game against a team that kind of matched up to their level. It wasn't like they were going in and playing a Clemson week one. It, it just kind of yeah. matched up well. Or an Alabama. Well. Or, an Alabama. Right. or USC or somebody like that. Um, I agree. There was an interesting poll that you ran earlier about was that Virginia Tech's biggest or best openings, uh, season opening win. You know, I think from a perception standpoint, it certainly was. Um, it wouldn't shock me if uh, – you know, West Virginia last year turned out to be better than Florida State this year as far as record-wise and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But uh, but I, I think as far as national perception, uh, yeah, without question. And a true road game, a like Evan said. Game, yeah, I mean, yeah that, that's, uh, this is the biggest. All right, Sam writes, 
It has been my impression over the last two years that the team has been a little more consistent week to week under Fuente. So far, we haven't had any stunning upset losses, right? Uh, and I, w- I would throw in I would, Syracuse. I would as- throw Syracuse the week after beating down. They beat down Pittsburgh, East, or excuse me, uh, Boston College, East Carolina, and UNC three weeks in a row, and then went up there and got beat by two touchdowns by Syracuse. And Georgia Tech was an upset in 20 – well, actually, the last two years, Georgia Tech did not have a winning record last year, right? Ooh, yikes. I and, don't and know. And then the year before, <laughs> they were up by 20 points on Virginia Tech and Lane Stadium at halftime. So I wouldn't quite say that. Um, is it more consistent? Yeah, because, I mean, three of Frank's last four years were 6-6, six and six, which is the, the, the picture of inconsistency. Yeah. You know, so uh, – yeah, I mean, I, I think things are, are, more, are more consistent. So whether you agree with the statement slash question or not, it's clear that he's paying attention to that. And, and that's a good point because one of the things that frustrates college football fans is is the, the variation in effort and focus yeah. from week to week. Any team, you know, every college football fan complains about his team isn't, isn't consistent. And, you know, it's because you're dealing with, with college kids, you know, as opposed to pros. Even the pros are sometimes inconsistent. But uh, – yeah, so that, that's, that's one to watch. And then Scott McConaughey says this. Uh, he was talking about the best opening week wins for Virginia Tech, and he says, but 2014 Ohio State still the best away game win. Is that, that well, fair that, to say? Well, that wasn't exactly an opener. That was Right, he was just saying best away win regardless. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not speaking with hyperbole here that, that with that game four years in the rearview mirror, it is – one of the best games I've ever seen a Virginia Tech football team play. You know, yeah, they let, let's take a random example. 2003 Miami, they beat them 31-7. Well, you know, Tech played really good defense, but uh, they, they didn't pass they the ball well. They one pass the whole game. Yeah. Did they know? really? Yes. And, 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 yeah. And, that, and uh, no, two passes, one of which was for a loss. Yeah. They, they, they completed one pass past the line of scrimmage and won the game by 24 points. But, but that Ohio State yeah. game, the defensive effort and, the, and some of the plays they made on offense, you know, that, that is way up there as far as just sheer art. Yeah. Uh, I think if you look at the Ohio State game as just a singular moment of time in time and compare it to the Florida State game, yes, it's better. Yeah, it was better. But as it, what will it mean for – the program long term, the Ohio State game didn't mean anything. Just like the 2003 Miami game didn't mean anything because we lost four of our next five and choked it away. Uh, right after Ohio <laughs> State that week uh, was the, the ECU lost. lost. East Carolina and the team went six and six. Uh, so, and, you know, it didn't help recruiting any because, you know, recruits knew that coaching staff wasn't going to be there very much longer. So, like the Miami 2003 game, that Ohio State game was a great moment in time, but it didn't do anything to advance the program. My hope with this Ohio, with this Florida State win is that it can advance the program a little bit because uh, beating Florida State on the road with a third-year coaching staff and a lot of young players is good for national perception. All right, let's get to uh, Will Stewart's uh, Twitter bio to go through the music uh, of the week. I'm going to call it on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Of course, the lyrics, turn off your mind, relax, and float downstream. What do we have this week, Will? Okay, so when I was uh, living in Charlottesville in the late 80s and early 90s, a buddy of mine was working for Crutchfield, and he brought home uh, a, a CD sampler that one of the record companies used to put out. And there was an artist on that sampler named Danielle Dax. I have not encountered another human being who's ever listened to Danielle Dax. She was late 80s, early 90s. I bought both of her CDs, love them. And one of my favorite songs by her was a song called Tomorrow Never Knows. And I've been listening to that song since the early 90s. So I'm sitting around and I'm watching, and it includes that lyric, by the way. So I'm sitting around watching uh, Mad Men one night. I was a big Mad Men fan, loved that series. And you're probably talking 2013, 2014, 2015. And as they're cutting the credits after an episode, I hear a male voice come on and sing, turn off your mind, relax, and float downstream. And I thought, what am I listening to? So I watched the credits, and the credits roll over The Beatles, Tomorrow Never Knows which blew my mind and made me a little embarrassed. I'm not a big music guy. I'd been listening to a song for almost 25 years, not knowing it was a remake of a Beatles song. So ah. that, that was just an example to me of how influential the Beatles are, you know. And, and, and again, anybody who follows music really knows it. So that's actually a Beatles song, but to me it's a Danielle Dax song. 
So I go and I look up the song on Wikipedia the other day because I want to be able to talk about it. And yes, they have a section in there about who's covered it. And they, have, they list like eight cover versions and they don't list Danielle Dax's version. So yes, I know something Wikipedia doesn't know. You should have added it. I, I don't know. I've, I've never, never registered myself and, and gone it. But you're right, I should do. Sometime in my copious amounts of free time when I'm not driving 1,300 miles in four days back and forth to Tallahassee, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pull up Wikipedia yeah. and I'll, I'll add that in there. All right, so do you like her version or the Beatles version of it more? Uh, well, I think you're always biased towards the one you hear first. Um, and I'm not familiar enough with the Beatles version because I don't own that album. That is literally my only exposure to it was hearing it at the end of a Mad Men episode. Now, as another sidebar to that, that caused me to pull up an article and read about that. And, you know, TV shows don't have huge budgets. And if you want to buy a Beatles song for use in a TV show or a movie, it's extremely expensive. It's so that sample of that song that they closed the credits with on Mad Men was several hundred thousand dollars. Unbelievable. And, and it was odd to me because it, it's not like it had anything to the episode. It was the credits song. But they, they sprang for it. Matthew, Matthew Weiner, who was the producer of the show and the key writer, talked AMC into springing several hundred thousand bucks to close an episode of Mad Men with a Beatles song. Interesting. So, so, to answer, so, so to answer all of you on Twitter who said that's a Beatles song, it is to you, but to me it's a Daniel Dax song. Daniel Dax. And now I'll have to go and listen to the song on, uh, on my way back to class. Yep. There we go. All right. Well, uh, last thing we'll do before we sign off, a uh, lot of great contact on TechSideline.com this week. We've got the game preview coming out here shortly. What else uh, on TSL.com this week? Oh, I don't know. My head's spinning. Uh, I guess I'll I'll write an I'll write something for running on Thursday. Tomorrow. We'll have a William and Mary preview, our normal Friday Q and A on Friday. And Brandon Brandon Patterson has broken down the Florida State game. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Yeah, yeah we're so that's it's good a short stuff. week for us too. So. <laughs> <laughs> so so we're not doing some things we usually do, kind of like the coaching exactly. staff. Sure. I'm glad the podcast stayed in the lineup it for this week. The podcast will always be in the lineup. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week's Tech Sideline Podcast, which is brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. We'll talk to you next week after the Hokies game against William & Mary at Lane Stadium. This week, Hokies fans, have fun jumping in Lane. It's going to be a great home opener this Saturday. For Tech Sideline founder Will Stewart, our managing editor Chris Coleman, my name is Evan Hughes saying so long from the TSL offices. Have a great week, Hokie fans.